social media, there are organic and paid strategies. Organic just means that you haven't funneled any dollars into boosting the reach or paying to be in front of a specific audience. Instead, you've acquired reach either through the algorithm's free reach that comes with almost every post, and each platform is a little different as far as page reach goes. So for example, on Facebook, organic reach in 2021 is about 6.4% of the page's followers. So if you have 7,000 followers on Facebook, that means you can guess that you might get between 400 and 500 reach for a post, regardless of whether or not someone engages with it. So that means the next way you can improve organic reach is through engagement or engagement rate. Every time someone likes, comments, or shares, it's basically like sending a little note to the platform's algorithm that says, this content is good and I think people should see it. Therefore, you might boost your reach even further without actually making any monetary investment. Paid reach is when you put money behind your post. That might be boosting it on social media, or it could be paid advertising where you compete with other advertisers to place your message in front of a specific audience. Influencer marketing is often a paid social media strategy unless an influencer donates space on their platform to amplify your message. What is unique about influencer marketing is that it has an organic reach component to it as well. Here's what I mean. You could pay someone $500 to make three posts over the course of a month. In this way, it is a paid strategy. However, the influencer making the post doesn't put any money behind the post, so they are leaning on organic reach to help amplify your message. So that brings us to the influencer's main value they offer, and that is engagement rate. They may have 10,000 or 20,000 followers, and maybe their average engagement rate is 15%, which is more than double the average you could expect for some platforms. So if they have 20,000 followers and their engagement rate is 15%, then you can expect at least nearly 3,000 unique accounts to like, comment, or share a post that is about your brand, product, service, or organization. More than that though, since their engagement rate is particularly high, you might reach even more accounts even though they don't engage. So the reach for the post about your brand, product, or service could be 5,000 or 10,000 or more. Even better, those 5,000 accounts may have never seen content by your company before seeing that post from the influencer. It's clear that influencers certainly have a place in social media strategies. Now all you have to do is the work of actually building the strategy. Developing relationships with influencers, creating contracts, designing creative, and measuring your impact. Let's start with developing an influencer marketing strategy. It's important when you are developing influencer marketing goals that you don't do it in a silo without considering all the other goals of the organization and of your social media strategy as a whole. For example, the budget for influencer marketing might not be its own line item. Instead, it might be wrapped into a broader social advertising budget. So the first step in developing your strategy is knowing how much money you plan to spend on influencer marketing. Is it 10% or 20% of your advertising budget? 
what is that in a dollar amount? Is it $500 or $5,000? And like all advertising, you need to know your budget before you can craft a realistic goal. And unlike traditional advertising, your budget may include a trade of products instead of dollars. It might also include influencers donating space on their platform if you're a nonprofit with a cause that they care about. So next, you have to define the audience you want to reach with your influencer marketing campaign. Here's where follower personas become so helpful. Ideally, you want to find influencers that your target audience already engages with on a regular basis. It wouldn't make sense to have someone who creates largely sports-centered content to be a part of your influencer marketing strategy if your product is designed to help families who have young children. Sure, you might find a parent who follows the influencer who largely puts out sports-centered content, but the return on your investment would likely not reach your expectations for two reasons. First, the people who are following that influencer aren't doing so because they have interest in products like yours. Second, your sponsored posts would stick out in a bad way from the influencer's typical content. Also, the influencer, who understands their audience, might just say no to the promotion because they know that most of their followers wouldn't find the content helpful and they might risk losing followers by posting irrelevant ads or promotions. When you know the audience you want to target, then you know which influencers you want to build relationships with in the future. Next, you have to have an idea of the creative content you want to design or you want designed. You might be in charge of creating that content that your influencers will use on their platform, or you might be writing a creative brief that will describe what you want the influencer to create on their platform. Either way, you have to have a vision of what needs to be created for the audience. So you might want to answer questions like, is this post a video or an image? Is it going to be a story or is it going to be IGTV? Is it going on YouTube or is it going on Facebook? What's the caption? Are we in charge of writing the caption or do we let the influencer write the caption so that way it's in their voice? Is it multiple posts or only one? Are they sharing it on their newsfeed or are they sharing it as a story? Finally, you have to set objectives and measure impact. The data will tell us what works and what doesn't. So before we launch, we have to define success. Maybe success means 20 more customers or 100 visitors to a landing page. Either way, define it. Then as the campaign launches, measure the impact. You'll be looking for metrics like reach, engagement or engagement rate, link clicks, leads, purchases, or donations. So let's define what an influencer is. First, I think it's important to note that we all have influence. Some people just have more influence than others, which is why we might consider paying to use their influence to bring awareness to our brand or our products or our services. But not all influencers reach celebrity status but they can be really effective and sometimes even more effective with smaller but active audiences. So an influencer doesn't necessarily have to be somebody we all recognize. It can be somebody that your audience recognizes. And it's somebody that your audience trusts. And it's somebody who posts regularly to engage with their followers 
by creating interesting and unique content. Influencer marketing is just a form of social media marketing that involves endorsements and product placements. So influencers are the ones who are providing the endorsements or the product placements. I want us to start by categorizing influencers based on follower count. Obviously, this isn't an exact science, and more importantly, bigger follower counts don't directly correlate with more expensive influencers or even more effective influencers. So there are several categories of influencers. The first and largest category, or not the largest category, but the category with the largest number of followers would be celebrity influencers. They typically have more than 1 million followers. Some people are celebrities because they are public figures like popular politicians or actors and actresses. And some people are celebrities only on social media and because of social media. It might be hard to engage with celebrities to create an influencer strategy because of their status. And their follower count might not directly translate into follower engagement or follower action. Celebrity influencers are sometimes really effective for really big brands that want to reach really broad audiences. But for smaller companies and smaller brands, big celebrities sometimes don't make a a lot of sense as far as influencer marketing goes, simply because the it, they could cost way too much for your for your advertising budget, but they also might not be who you need to drive engagement and to reach your objectives. The next level we have is macro influencers. These influencers have between 500,000 and 1 million followers. Like celebrity influencers, they can at times be difficult to work with because they know they have a large follower base and they they usually have a professional status, especially if they're strictly an influencer. At this point, it is their full-time job to be an influencer and that might mean they have an agent that manages their campaigns or are a bit more difficult to get in front of because they do have so many brands wanting them to promote their products. Then we have middle tier influencers. We start getting into more reasonable ranges as as far as affordability goes when we're looking at middle tier influencers. They have between 50,000 and 500,000 followers. These people might charge more for posts uh, than, than micro or nano influencers, which we'll talk about in a second, but they can be really effective uh, just like if you're, you're trying to reach a specific broad audience, they can be really good at that objective. But if you're trying to be a bit more specific in the audience that you're targeting, you have two other options. The next is micro-influencers which typically have between 10,000 and 50,000 followers. These influencers are typically striving to be middle tier influencers or macro influencers at some point in the future, but at the moment they are micro influencers and therefore often come with a, a more affordable rate and can at times be easier to contact and to work with. 
And then finally, we have nano influencers. They have between 1,000 and 10,000 followers. These influencers might not seem like influencers at all, but if somebody has eight or 9,000 followers and a really high engagement rate, and they're engaging with the specific audience that you're trying to target, then they make a lot of sense for you to reach out to and to work with. The other nice thing about nano influencers is typically in being an influencer isn't their full-time job if they're if they're a micro influencer or a nano influencer. So contacting them can be a little easier. They might be a little more flexible. They might not be as rigid in their contracts or in their expectations as you would find with mid-tier influencers and with macro influencers. So if you're trying to shoot for flexibility, if you're trying to keep a smaller influencer budget, then it's important that you take a moment to look at at micro and nano influencers. You can find these in your community. These people might not even be actively see these people might not even be actively looking for influencer paid influencer promotions but by reaching out to them they might be interested in participating in whatever your campaign might be they might have some of their own creative ideas they might also have the be more open to the idea of exchanging products or services uh, in exchange for promotions. Now, before we stop thinking about who influencers, before we move on from categorizing influencers to how to engage with influencers, we also have to think about those closest to us. Employees can also be really great influencers for an organization. Now, we do breach into some employment law here. We can't force employees to be our friends on Facebook or to follow a boss or to even reshare or retweet anything. But we can create the ability for employees to actively engage with your brand online and encourage them to share. This could be really effective with companies that have really cause-driven missions. At Mental Health Association Oklahoma, this is one place where I think we could really grow our social media strategy is by creating some sort of employee advocacy portal where people know what they could share to their Instagram accounts or their LinkedIn accounts or their Facebook accounts to help encourage engagement out to their own followers. So if you added up all the employees in your organization and all of the followers that they have, then you can clearly reach a broader audience uh, by having some sort of employee advocacy strategy in place. And then the last one I want to touch on is volunteers as influencers. And this might be board members. This is where I'm talking about nonprofits. This might be board members or committee members or people who engage with your brand online already. They could be influencers. And and there's another opportunity here to really organize a, a advocacy effort at the volunteer level. And so if you could put 
tools into the hands of volunteers and in employees, you could also have a, a bit of a nano influencer or micro influencer strategy that, that starts with the pe- people closest to your organization. So where do we find these influencers? One place you could start is you could take inventory of all your followers and you could see who engages the most with your brand or with your profile on a regular basis. You could see if any of your followers also have a large following. And if they do, maybe you could reach out to them and say, hi, you know, we see that you follow us. We've seen that you engage with us and and we know that you care about our mission and the work we do. We're reaching out to you because we would love it if you could help us push our message further by sharing our posts or creating some of your own that help promote the work that we're doing. Another place you can find influencers is by asking those closest to you. Talk to your employees, your colleagues, your bosses. Talk to the people who are friends or even family members and see who they're following on the platform you're targeting. And you could get some insights from from the people closest to you as well as, as an offline research method. The next place you can look is by doing a Google keyword search. You can see what blogs or other types of content is ranking when you search for content related to your industry that you're focusing on. So we might look at what brands or people are posting the most or creating the most content around mental health from Mental Health Association Oklahoma, and then consider reaching out to them for some type of collaboration project. Next, you can search hashtags on Instagram that's relevant to your industry or your products or services and see who's posting and how big their audiences are. And whenever you do see somebody with a large audience, you might then dive a little deeper and see maybe how how much people engage with the content that they're posting. There are tools and agencies and that will help you identify influencers relevant to your brand or your organization or your product or your service, etc. And those obviously typically cost money to use but there are places where you can go to help expedite the process of finding influencers, which can be very tedious if you're doing all the work yourself. That being said, doing the work, uh, all of the footwork can give you really good insight into what you're looking for when it comes to finding an influencer. So maybe you can take a hybrid approach where you use offline methods and your own searching methods to identify influencers who could be relevant to your brand, and then using online tools that can expedite the process to help supplement your own search. So therefore, you can really get a good feel for the opportunities that exist on the platforms that you're targeting. So let's say you've identified a few influencers. What's next? Next, you're going to reach out to them 
via their preferred communication channel, which they'll likely have posted either in their bio or on their personal website. So maybe if you're sending them a direct message, you'd be a bit more casual in your conversation, explain what you are hoping to do with the collaboration project and what your objectives are and a general understanding of what the payment would be and and then go from there. You might have identified 20 or 30 different followers that would be good for you to communicate with, but you only land on maybe five to 10 that you continue a relationship with into the future. So how would you engage with your influencers? So you've, you've found some, you've messaged them, you've created this relationship with them, what's next? Well, next you're going to start thinking about contracts and deliverables and creative briefs. So whenever you do, and we're going to talk a little bit more about contracts when we talk about what it's like being an influencer. Um, But whenever you are engaging with influencers, there's lots of ways that you can create and collaborate with an influencer. So the first thing you can do is you can share your products with them. And this is more appropriate for nano or micro influencers, but if if you have a particularly relevant product for their audience, sending them free products for them to then later uh, review on their platform or on your platform or both could be one way you could engage with influencers. It costs you free product, But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually cost you, uh, there's not a, uh, you don't pay money for it beyond the cost of the product. You can do affiliate marketing, which is when you allow an influencer to receive a portion of your profits. So say, for example, you were a software company, you could create an affiliate link for your influencer And your influencer could share that affiliate link and everybody who then downloads or subscribes to the software through the affiliate link, the influencer then gets a portion of the sales. So you could identify maybe 20 or even 30% of a sale that's going to the influencer marketing campaign. You could also offer them promotion codes or discounts if it helps their community. Influencers want to be a resource to their community because they want their community to enjoy engaging with them and they want to see a benefit from engaging with them. So sometimes if their followers receive a special promotion or discount through the influencer that they're following, they could see value in having that added. However, a promotional code or discount would often be in conjunction with some sort of payment, either free product or or an actual fee. You can have an influencer create content. So there's two things you can do. You could ask an influencer to amplify content that you create by sharing it, or you can ask them to create their own content. Influencers might be really talented at video creation or photography or blogging or podcasting or some type of hard skill that they have that you want to use to create content for your brand. 
Obviously, this is going to cost you money. However, an influencer relationship can be one that's not just sharing your brand, but also creating content that your brand can then use in different formats in the future. And then another format that you could work with influencers, and and we'll move to the other side of the equation, what it's like being an influencer after this, but another one you can... um, do another strategy of working with an influencer is doing an account takeover. And this can be as short as a day or as long as a week, but essentially you give an influencer control over your social media account. I think this could be really fun for news organizations if they shared, you know, their social media account with, uh, you know, community leaders for a day or something like that. I think it could be, and I'm thinking more like local news, not national news, but there's lots of fun ways that you could collaborate with an influencer by handing over your Twitter handle or handing over your Instagram account. And what that would do is it would inject the influencer's personality and bring some authenticity to your account that wasn't there before. Obviously, there is a huge trust factor in handing over an account to an outsider. But if that trust is there, it can be a really fun way to engage with an influencer and to create new content for your platform, as well as engage a new audience because the influencer is is going to bring people who follow them over to your platform uh, to to engage with you there too. So it's a really good way to expand the number of people who follow or like your pages. Now, what if you want to be the influencer? First thing is you have to know what your brand is. You have to identify how you are going to be found on various platforms and, and websites. So the most obvious way of which you could brand yourself is with your name. So you could be just branded as, you know, Christy Sturgill on Instagram. And maybe you are, you know, you can find more information at christysturgill.com. So maybe people are just following Christy Sturgill. Or maybe I want to build a brand around my dog, Jake. And so the Instagram account is actually, you know, Jake. And you could then create, you know, Jake the Dog website or something like that. So you you need to choose the right brand. And you have to be pretty careful on how you choose your name because it's going to stick with you as you try to expand onto other platforms and, and grow your influence over time. So it has to be something you're comfortable using for a long period of time because growing an influence takes time and it takes effort and you don't want to have to do a name change because that will dramatically affect your your brand. Another key component of being an influencer is to make sure you secure whatever name you choose on all current platforms, even if you're not using that platform. You should also buy a name for a website, even if you're not planning on building a website anytime soon. And then you should have a niche where you can have an opinion or express your opinion, uh, have a lifestyle or area of expertise that people will go to to learn more about. So the reason you secure your name on all of the platforms is because it gives you room to grow 
And if you don't grow into those platforms, it's okay because you you've at least secured that brand, and and that prevents somebody else from having your name on, for example, TikTok, even though you don't perform there, because then then if that person expands their brand, then you could be competing for the same name in a very small space. So you have to think, you know, if you were an influencer, what would be your niche or differentiator? So for Jake the dog, you know, maybe his niche is dog bones. I don't know. And maybe every other post, he's just talking about his favorite dog bones. And it's always hashtag dogs of Instagram. I don't, I don't know what I'd actually do with it. But uh, you would have to choose what, what it is you want influence over and what it is you care about talking about often or sharing often. You could be a traveler, so maybe you post travel photos frequently because you're you're always moving around the country for some reason. Maybe you are, you know, your specialty is in hiking, and so you post a mixture of your favorite hiking gear and your favorite trails. So then you need to hone in on your bio and your about page slash contact page. So whenever you create your bio, if you're if you're wanting to be an influencer, companies have to know how to communicate with you. And if you create a website or a landing page, you can really explain to them what they can expect from you, what's your style and who are your followers, what your followers can expect from you. They can know where you live and what you do for work. They can see other brands you've worked with. You can really create a very elaborate explanation of what you do and why you do it. And that will help them decide whether or not they want to work with you. So having a web page or a landing page that explains a bit more about your mission and your audience could go a long way in helping you be found by people looking for influencers. So after you've created your website and you're, you've identified the platforms that you're going to perform on, you're already creating content, then you have to start asking for work. You can create content hoping people will reach out to you for work because there are people looking for influencers. And, and the biggest part of becoming an influencer is making sure you have enough followers to justify your influence or at least a high engagement rate. But the next step is is looking for companies or brands that you want to work for. So you might send a letter to a target company and you'd say, hi, my name is, you know, blank and I blog at blank and I'm on Instagram at blank and I recently saw an ad for your product on Facebook and after doing some research, I realized this is a product I would purchase and I would recommend to my audience I recently reached, you know, X number of followers and X number of page views per month. And I wanted to reach out and discuss a possible partnership. In exchange for complimentary product, I would write a 250 to 500 word post about your product, complete with custom posts and promote the content on my social platforms. Um, so that when I say post, I mean like a blog post and then and then they would share that to their social platforms. Um, I would also love to have a quote from the founder to give my post authority and a bit of a personal touch. If this is something you'd be interested in, I'll send you a one sheet with my information so you can learn more on my blog or you can learn more on my blog. 
YouTube or Instagram. Thank you for your time. Name. So in this little letter, we've mentioned how many followers we have or how many page views if we if we're running a blog and really established why we care about their product and, and what we would potentially deliver to them. So when you're asking for work, essentially what you want to do is you want to introduce yourself and how you found their brand products or services. Then you want to tell them your stats. Why are you even worth their time? Finally, you're going to tell them where to go for more information. If they want to look into you, where can they find out who your audience is and how many followers and just kind of confirm everything you've said to them. Maybe they want to see some of your style, some of your photos, some of your videos, etc. Send them to the places where they can engage with you. After about a week, you can send them a follow-up note if you haven't heard anything. So if you're just starting out as an Instagram, or not an Instagram, just an influencer in general, um, start small to build momentum by looking for local brands and then using them as platforms for bigger opportunities. It's also okay when you're starting out to not be afraid to work for trades uh, in, in, in exchange for, for doing influencer work. So you have to be a bit more flexible when you're a nano or micro influencer, but once you build into the mid-tier or macro tier, you have a lot of say in who you do and don't work with. And you can make a lot of judgments at that point about how much you charge. So there's a typically a 70-30 rule for branded content. If you are an influencer, people are following you because of the things that you say or the things that you post or maybe your expertise in a particular area. What you want is about 70% of your content being content that you've produced for your audience and about 30% of the content being branded content for promotional purposes and for payment. The problem is, is if this gets out of balance, people are gonna see too many ads and not enough content and they'll stop following you. And your followers are your bread and butter. That's how you sell what you do as well as your engagement rate. So if you have not as many followers or not a great engagement rate, then it's gonna be really hard to land future deals. Think about it like a newspaper. If a newspaper or a magazine, I guess, uh, and we probably ran into this and been frustrated ourselves, but if, if every page was an advertisement, then we would be really fatigued with looking at this particular newspaper advertisement or newspaper or magazine, and, and we'd go elsewhere. So the same has transitioned into the world of social media. That if we have too many ads, if our ads overwhelm our, our, our original content, then people don't want to be sold to every time they come to your page. So there's a distribution fee and a talent fee. When you add those two together, that is what you should charge. So for example, a distribution fee. Basically, this is how much does it cost to be featured on your channel or blog? The things that you should consider when you're establishing your distribution fee is your follower count. Obviously, the more followers you have, the more you can charge as a distribution fee. You should also account for your engagement rate per post. This can cause your distribution fee to increase or decrease depending on your engagement. 
You can also consider your quality of content. Are you a professional photographer? Are you a professional videographer? Do you have skills that are otherwise very expensive to use? And if so, you can increase your distribution fee. Do you have special recognition? If you are a public figure in some way or if people recognize you um, over specific audiences, sometimes you can use that to increase a distribution fee. And then finally, demographics. Sometimes people are engaging with a highly valuable demographic. And if you are that person, sometimes that means you can charge more for your distribution fee, even if your follower count is lower than mid-tier. Then you have your talent fees. So so you kind of consider all of those values and, and you create your distribution fee. And now you have your talent fee. Your talent fee is how much you will be spending on the space where you're shooting. So you would have to consider the cost of of renting space if you're doing photos or videos. You might have a professional photo photographer or editor, which case you need to include their expense. If you have to purchase props or clothing, that could be included in your talent fee. And finally, your hourly rate. So if you're just beginning, your hourly rate could be anywhere between $18 and $25 an hour. And whenever you are adding up the hours that you've worked, you would include things like the time you've spent negotiating the contract, the time you spent researching for the place where you're going to have the photo shoot or video shoot or the types of content you're going to create. You're going to include any time you spend securing a location, any time you've spent creating a mood board, and any time you spent actually creating the content that you're going to share on your platform. So distribution fee, let's go back to that. Distribution fee by follower account and or subscriber account could be something along the lines of if you have 10,000 to 100,000 followers on Instagram, that could be anywhere between $250 and $2,000 for an Instagram post or $1,000 to $5,000 for a YouTube video. If you have 100,000 to 500,000 followers or subscribers, you can charge $2,000 to $5,000 for an Instagram post and $5,000 to $10,000 for a YouTube video. If you have 500,000 to a million followers or subscribers, you can charge 5,000 to $10,000 for an Instagram post or 10,000 to $25,000 for a YouTube channel. And if you're at that celebrity status, you can at times charge 7,500 or more for one Instagram post, $15,000 or more for a YouTube video. and then your talent fee, right? If, you, if you're doing a, a photo shoot and or video shoot, your talent fee might be $500 to $2,000 if you have, you know, that 10,000 to 100,000 followers and then it, and it goes up from there. So I'm not gonna go through each of those, but you could add them up. So for example, you could be, you could have 10,000 followers and you charge $250 for an Instagram post for your distribution fee and $500 for your photo shoot and or video shoot. So your total cost would be $750 for you to make an Instagram post. 
because you have 10,000 followers and that is your distribution fee and your talent fee added together. So if a brand can't pay you, if money isn't on the table and you're an influencer, your first inclination could say no. Um, but there are some things to consider. Is it, the dream, is it a dream company for you to work for? Will they pay for you to travel? Will they promote you, therefore giving you more brand credibility? Um, and don't be afraid to counteroffer. Just because they don't include money in their first offer doesn't mean that you can't ask for it. And it's also okay to say no just for now. So here's some ways you can say no. Um, Hi, casting agent. Thank you so much for thinking of me for this campaign. I really appreciate it, but I'm not participating in any unpaid campaigns at this time. If there's an increase in your budget, I'd be more than happy to revisit the campaign. Thank you, influencer. Or, hi, casting agent. Thank you so much for thanking me for my XYZ campaign. I really appreciate it, but I do not think I can deliver the high-quality branded content this campaign deserves with the compensation offered. If there's an increase in your budget, I'd be more than happy to revisit this campaign. Or, hi, casting agent. Thank you for considering me for this campaign. I know that engagements are probably an important metric for you, but I don't think the content I would create for this campaign will resonate with my audience. I want to make sure you have a great return on your investment, so I'll need to decline your offer. However, please feel free to reach out to me again with your next campaign. With all of these messages, you're you're not giving them a hard no. You're telling them that under the current circumstances, it's a no. But if things change in the future via budget or the type of campaign, then maybe you would reconsider a partnership with them. We're going to finish this lecture on the components of an influencer contract. So there are several sections of a contract that you need to be familiar with as you start taking on influencer jobs. The first is obvious. It's your personal information. Uh, This is how they will communicate with you. It might also include uh, things like your address. If they're going to be mailing you a check, depending on how the payment will happen or sending you product. You will include how much and when you will be paid. Sometimes it's it's possible that you will be paid a certain amount to start the project and a certain amount when the project concludes. You will, you will have the campaign details. So who is hiring you? So it's going to be X company is hiring you to do X campaign. It'll include the campaign brief. So we all know that the campaign brief is is anything but brief, but this is where they're going to outline their expectations of what they want the campaign to look like. So this is a really important section of your contract and it's very critical that you carefully read it so that way your client and you are both happy when the project concludes, and and that way the relationship may continue into the future with new projects. You will include expectations and content outline. You will include a shooting schedule. So this might be uh, describing when and where you're going to shoot your video or photography. 
Then you're going to have deliverables and details. So this could be the number of photos, the captions you're going to include, and the resolution of your photos, where they're going to be posted. It's basically going to outline the quality that the client is going to receive. Finally, you're also going to see something called flight dates. And this is when the content is live. We include flight dates in a contract because a company doesn't want you to create content and post it up and say, I did my job, and then a week later, delete it. But you don't want to be responsible to have that content up forever. So it might say that the flight dates are between March 1st and August 1st of 2021, or whatever date you're working with. And whenever you create that flight date, that is that is your agreement to leave that content up for a set duration of time. So that way the company knows that they're getting the most out of their efforts. Exclusivity is a very important component of a contract. You need to keep an eye on this section. It could outline who you can and cannot work with in the future and for how long. If a brand is being very specific on exclusivity, for example, if if you are promoting some type of, if you're, you know, a, a parent influencer and you're promoting some type of diaper, for example, they could say for the next two years, you, by signing this contract, you will not promote any other diaper brand there is. Well, that's asking a lot of you. So you need to be careful when you read the exclusivity section to make sure, one, that the exclusivity is reasonable, and two, that you want to agree to it. So exclusivity makes a lot of sense when you work for big brands. Like, for example, if if Nike hired you to promote their shorts, um, they wouldn't want you then a week later promoting Adidas because that's their direct competitor. So... If a brand is wanting exclusivity, you could increase your rates because they are making you incur a opportunity cost. If you can't work in with any other brand in the industry for a set period of time, then that could potentially cost you money and therefore that should be reflected in your fee that you charge them. So they may reuse your content for ads maybe their own original content or landing pages or websites, etc. If they want to have free reign of the content you create in the future, this could also be a place where you could negotiate to increase your price. Finally, you have your payment terms and travel and expenses. Here they're going to, in the payment terms, they might say we're going to pay you in three increments or five increments or two or what, however it is that they're going to pay you. It will be spelled out in the contract. And then you will list out any travel and expenses, especially if you're, if you're charging a talent fee. Uh, maybe you provide them an invoice of all of the additional costs that you're incurring that's included in the fee that you're charging them. So influencer marketing is another big section of social media that I feel like we could spend a whole semester on. There are a lot of moving components like finding influencers or being an influencer, managing contracts and creating content and 
in working on relationships with influencers between influencers and companies. And so there's a lot to talk about here, but the main takeaway that I want you to have going into this week of the semester is that influencer marketing can be an effective part of a paid marketing strategy. And that I want you to think of influencers not just as celebrity influencers, but also as as nano and micro influencers and start thinking of ways that you could engage with influencers for your client and maybe even ways that you could create your own influencer strategy and maybe even think of ways that you can become an influencer or ways that you can help a brand become an influencer, which is a topic we really didn't get into in this lesson. But it is possible for brands themselves to have influencer status and for other companies or other organizations wanting to do collaborations with your brand because of the types of engagement you have and the numbers of followers you have. So your brand can really be an industry leader on social media if you position yourself correctly. So in class this week, we are going to be working on building a posting schedule as well as creating the top performing post, doing some research on our platforms. Uh, So be ready for that. I look forward to seeing everyone soon.